we have an armed guard sleeping outside the tent to like protect us. And I have to keep going out to be sick in this rainstorm. I just remember like laying there that night thinking like, if I had a button I could push to go home immediately, I would push it. (laughs) But honestly, after that, I was so glad I stayed. The trip got way better. This is the final call for The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 421. Green Bay, Wisconsin is undisputably the toilet paper capital of the world, as it is home to the very first splinter-free toilet paper, which was invented in the 1930s. Oh, before that. Ouch. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is someone who is a proud Cincinnati resident and Wisconsin native who's been to over 40 countries, who described herself as an older millennial, which is the first time I've heard that term, so I like that, and has an absolutely awesome picture of six Ethiopian boys on stilts, Jen Sizer from thejourneynotes.com. Jen, thanks for joining me and welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. So where are you right now? Are you in Cincinnati? No, I'm actually in Denver right now. (laughs) Okay. Because I wanted you to sell me on Cincinnati because I have another friend who's come on the podcast. Okay. Well, his name, Mikko, who people may have listened to it. He he came on and did a whole thing on Bulgaria because that's where he's from. But he lives in Cincinnati. And uh, he's always trying to get me to come out to Cincinnati. I don't have anything against Cincinnati. I just haven't been. So... Let's start off by just selling people on Cincinnati. I can do that. I can do that. So I didn't grow up in Cincinnati, but it's been my home base for about 11 years now um, because of my job. And I never, ever planned to stay there quite as long as I have. And I'm actually taking a year right now. My husband is doing a job in Denver. So I'm back and forth every other week for a year. But we're moving back there full time in August because I actually miss it. And I'm living in Denver, which is always ranked as like the coolest place to live. And I kind of miss Cincinnati. <laughs> um, All right. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. Cause I love Denver. So, and you're yeah. like, I like Denver, but I still have soft spots for Cincy. What is it about Cincy then? So a few of the things I like about Cincinnati is one, it's a good size. Like for being a smaller city, they still have sports teams, theater. Um, it has a lot to offer for the size that it is. And I've kind of come to really appreciate a smaller city and sense of community. It's so cool there because um, there's a huge kind of startup and entrepreneur vibe going on. But it's really neat because there's new businesses, restaurants opening all the time. But it's like your friends who are the people doing it. And you really feel kind of connected to the action where in a bigger city, you definitely are more removed from that. I also love about Cincinnati that there's no traffic, and I've kind of come to really hate that about Denver, actually. You just can get so much done in the day. You know, you can go to work all day, still get to the gym, cook dinner, go to the grocery store, and still have time to have a beer with friends all in one day, which I find is hard to do in these crazier cities. (laughs) 
I think that's that could be their tagline then. Just like yeah. that last sentence you just said, you could do all this all <laughs> in one day here in you Cincinnati. Can. Yeah, yeah. You know, I feel a bit of a kindred spirit to Cincinnati, even though I haven't been, because Philadelphia, I think, is while being bigger for sure, is a similar feel and kind of in a similar way gets overlooked. You know, you have like New York. DC. Even even when you're driving up 95, I say this to Heather all the time, and she's, she's like, "Why do you bring us up every time we're driving this road?" You're driving up north to 95, and it's like you see all the Washington DC signs, you see a few Baltimore ones, and as soon as you pass there, it starts saying New York. I'm like, you realize the sixth biggest city in America is between here and New York. We don't even get love on the I-95 sign. So I think that's a similar vibe. Is like. A little bit of the underdog forgotten, but if you're from there, you realize just how much there is going on and and it, it gets overlooked a bit. Yeah, and it has it has a lot of really great things going on where you can still find everything you need. And if you're I mean, maybe you're not gonna be able to see the best theater in the country, but then go to New York and see a show. I mean, you're not gonna do that every day anyway. So <laughs> I find it's a great place to live. And a great place to be a home base, especially if you travel a lot. It's like a super easy, comfortable place to come home to. All right. So, so yeah. Mitko has been trying yeah. to sell me for a few years. Now you just added fuel to the fire. <laughs> I'll come out, hang out at Rhine Geist or over yeah. the Rhine or all that stuff that he always oh, you know to it. Go to. So, yeah, you go. All right. Then let's, since you did such a good job on that, Wisconsin, you're from Wisconsin. We don't have that many people on the podcast from Wisconsin. I've only ever passed through Madison, and it was cool. Sell us on Wisconsin. Why should we head there? Well, Wisconsin's great, too. I go up there many times a year. My parents still love live up there. Um, I've stayed really close with a lot of my friends that I grew up with and friends from high school. So it's kind of like a big family reunion every time I go up there. And, yeah, Wisconsin's awesome, particularly in the summer. Um the weather's beautiful. What I love about Wisconsin is kind of the lake culture. And I think it's kind of rare. And I've realized, you know, the more you travel, like not a lot of places have that much fresh water. So we kind of grew up, you know, going out boating, drinking on the lake, like that was kind of the fun stuff to do. And I kind of miss that. Like even in Denver, you don't have enough water. <laughs> so Wisconsin's awesome. The seasons are like very pronounced. Obviously, the winters can be a little rough. But if you find ways to enjoy it, I mean, I, I it's fine. <laughs> where would you take someone in Wisconsin? So where, if, if I'm coming and I'm like, yep, because I, I do want to, I went through Madison in the summer. It was beautiful. I want to come back to Wisconsin. So if I'm going to Wisconsin for a week or so, what do I have to hit? I mean, you have to check out Milwaukee. I'm kind of from a suburb of Milwaukee. There's a lot of neat stuff going on there. Um, kind of like you were saying about Philadelphia or Cincinnati. It's It has that similar like German heritage. And I, I think it's kind of like a forgotten big city almost. Um, but there's a lot of fun stuff going on there. And then I would definitely go up to Door County. We used to do like a family trip up there every summer. And it's just beautiful, like right on the lake and um, really nice beaches, actually. Some of Lake Michigan up there almost looks like the Caribbean, believe it or not. It's like bright blue water and just like a lot of biking and they grow cherries and it's really nice. All right. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm so, I mean, the more I hang out on the Great Lakes, which I have not done much of, yeah, the more impressed I am. And so I went to Erie, Pennsylvania, which I would never go to except Heather's best friend is there. And I'm like, eh, Erie, but we went to Lake Erie. I'm like, this is better than I thought. And then last year, on that trip through Wisconsin, on that road trip back from Montana, we went to the uh, Indiana State 
or Indiana Dunes now, I think it's a national park. It just got upgraded, yeah, recently. Yeah, so and I was blown away. I thought, whoa, this is this is cool. Like it was really, really neat and nice. If you like that, there's a way better one. Um, that is nice. But if you ever go to Michigan up by Traverse City, you can go up to Sleeping Bear. And they have some beautiful sand dunes up there. And they're huge. Like, I, I do have this actually on my um, travel blog. But it is a beautiful spot. And that is where the water, like, near Mackinac Island and stuff like that, bright blue. It's it's stunning. It really, It's unbelievable that it's Michigan. <laughs> nice. Okay. I'm someone who loves water, too. And that is my one complaint with that area of Colorado, kind of Colorado in general. But that specific area is I, you're just fa- – I mean, there are a few lakes – here and there, but I, I'm with you that I would miss I would miss that lifestyle. Either either it be a beach or a lake lifestyle. I had more of a beach lifestyle growing up, but I've since like kind of done a little more on lakes up in up in New England and all. You just got to be around water in the summer. That's just how it has to yep. be in my mind. I like it too. So we're talking yeah. about these hometowns of your, or like where you grew up, plus now where you live in Cincinnati. And I think one of the neat things about the lifestyle that you lead and, and the lifestyle that we have too is that being location independent means that you can kind of go and come as you please, but it doesn't mean that you necessarily have to be nomadic. It doesn't mean you have to constantly be traveling. It certainly doesn't mean you don't have to have a, you can't have a home base. I think that's one of the biz, big misconceptions. What does your life look like? How often are you traveling? When are you traveling? What is like a day-to-day or or maybe better like a year-to-year type travel slash be at home um, yeah. look like? Yeah. I mean, so I kind of think about trips in, in different ways. Like we do a lot of weekend trips from our home bases and I love those. And I'm, I'm actually coming to really start liking those more and more as just like little getaways from the day to day. And it, it feels sometimes like you're gone longer than three days when you just, you know, shoot out to the coast for the weekend or something like that. Um, so I love doing small trips like that. I think they kind of feed your soul and kind of keep you feeling like you're you're still doing something new and sort of exploring. But they can be a lot more affordable and, and really take less vacation days and things like that. Um, and then I try to do as many international trips a year as I can. Um, I do travel somewhat for work, so I'll typically do probably two or three international trips a year for work, which I often try to tag a little, um, personal time onto, or, you know, you know, if I have some things I want to see on my own, I'll add a weekend or something like that. And then I usually do probably three international trips on my own, just as a vacation, sometimes with my husband, sometimes with friends and sometimes as independent travel. Yeah, that's that's quite a bit of yeah. international travel then. Three, two to two to three it's for busy. work. Yeah, okay. What do you yeah. do then that is sending you abroad for work? Yeah, so I'm actually a designer. Um, I studied graphic design, and now I do brand strategy work. So I lead um, the design for a big toothpaste brand that's international. So I travel a lot for consumer research, and I meet with consumers and go to meetings and kind of talk with people all over the world about brushing their teeth. <laughs> How has that then allowed you to go on some of these trips on your own? Have you have you just worked up to having more vacation days or are they flexible with allowing you to work remotely at different times? 
Yeah. So typically I just use my vacation days for my personal travel. Um, I haven't needed to do much working remotely in that sense. Um, and then we're actually able to buy some, um, like unpaid time off as well. So I can buy an extra two weeks of that, which is super nice. And then two years ago, I actually took a month off as a sabbatical and, and spent some time in Papua New Guinea um, when I wanted to do really kind of a big trip like that, that I felt like needed, you know, more like three weeks or a month. Yeah. How have you been able to balance that? Because I think a lot of times people see it as one or the other, like I'm going to have a job that I like or, or that I'm like, I like for the perks. Maybe it's the money, maybe it's the status, whatever, you know, you have a job and you work your way up or, Hey, I'm going to travel and I'm going to have a life that, that is different. Start your own business, you know, be a freelancer, all that you have, you have kind of this hybrid. You're in between, you have a job you like that allows you to travel, but then you also have some time to do your own stuff. How, how have you been able to work that out and where do you see that in the future? Like, is that, is that probably what you're going to continue to do is work through that career? Or do you see at some point maybe making a split? I love my job and it's actually going very well. Um, so I, I don't plan on changing careers anytime soon. I, I found the balance to really work well for me, actually. I know, I know most people kind of choose a route that feels more extreme, but for me, that wasn't really an option. So I kind of need to work to be able to travel. So um, for me, it's not an option to kind of step aside from the work piece of it. Um, but yeah, I've kind of, I've, I've found some little tricks too, of just like the way I plan travel, I think is helpful. So just even making the most of vacation days that you do get. For example, I do a trip at Thanksgiving every year. We get Thursday and Friday off of that week. It makes for, you can get a 10 day trip by taking three vacation days if you're willing to not be home at Thanksgiving. And I find like, for example, that's a great way to get an international trip in every year without much trade-off. Um, you know, and then I, it does probably come at a trade-off sometime of spending time with family, but uh, my family's kind of fine with us coming home, you know, different weeks sometimes, not being there for Thanksgiving, things like that. What got you into this life of travel, of saying, hey, I'm going to trade off some stuff, like like being home for the holidays. It's worth it for me because I want to travel. When did that take hold? When did that travel bug kind of bite you? I think when I was in college, I kind of started doing it. Um, I did my undergraduate out in Rochester, New York, and was kind of away from home for the first time. And I'm actually quite close with my parents, but we talk on the phone every week. And, you know, I still definitely make trips home every year. But I don't know, I got a little bit less wedded to the, oh, I have to be home at Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter, every single holiday. Um, so that's kind of given me a little bit of freedom on that front. Um, and then, I, yeah, I started out traveling. We didn't do a lot of international traveling when I was younger. We did family vacations every summer to kind of national parks, camping, kind of road trip things. So I've always enjoyed traveling. And then kind of started traveling on my own for the first time um, in college with uh, study abroad and then um, kind of spent some time in Europe after that on my own and kind of realized I was comfortable um, doing a lot of those things by myself. So I still really enjoy doing that. And even though I have people I can travel with now, sometimes I sort of enjoy a solo trip. I find it is kind of a, a way to reconnect with myself and, and take a trip in a different way. What? are the biggest differences that you find between solo travel and whether it be traveling with your husband or traveling with friends? Because Heather and I travel a ton together and we do very few solo trips. Um, and, and that may change, you know, in the future. 
But what do you see as, yeah, pros and cons to, to each style for you? I mean, I love traveling with my husband. We did our first trip together probably like five years ago. Right when we met, we went to Iceland together and we just had a blast. Like we drove the whole uh, perimeter of the country and that was back when you could still camp anywhere you wanted in all, all of the country. So we did like a camping trip. And for example, that trip was something I probably wouldn't have done on my own. Um, probably wouldn't have camped and road tripped alone. I just, I, I typically don't, I do more, um, I don't know, I guess I just do a little bit different type of travel when I travel by myself. Um, so I felt like it was really exciting to kind of have a partner to do some of those more adventurous things with or trips that you have to just carry a ton of stuff. It was nice to have both of us there to just transport all the stuff. Um, and yeah, I guess we, I, when I travel by myself, sometimes I'm, I, I feel like I keep myself on a, a pace that's a little bit more unusual, like, okay, well, I'm going to go knock out, you know, all these things I want to see today and, it's maybe not, it's kind of, what do they call that? That type B fun where you're like, I am exhausted, but I'm going to get all this stuff in today. Whereas sometimes when you're traveling with someone else, you're less inclined to like keep pushing it. Cause you're like, we should really stop and have dinner or take a break and probably build in more kind of social fun time. than when I'm by myself, I'm, I can get a little aggressive. <laughs> all right. So when you're by yourself, you're like, you're going to the places where, you know, this is going to be full on not yeah. 24 hours a day, but hey, I'm when I'm out there, I'm going to see every single thing that I need to see that's on this top 10 list. And I don't care about eating. I don't care about slowing down. I'm just going to go yeah. until I can't go. And, and certain parts of travel, I think, are more fun shared with friends or, or a spouse or something like that, like like eating and, you know, sometimes just the humor that comes with traveling sometimes is, is better experience shared. Um, and like we were talking about uh, prior to to this, just some of the like funny mishaps that can ha happen when you travel. It's sort of nice to have someone along with you just to kind of laugh it off and enjoy it. Whereas sometimes those things can feel like frustrations, you know, if you're on your own. What has been your favorite solo journey? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, you know, I, I, this is sort of a solo journey, but, um, I was, I was with some other travelers that I had met, but it was solo in the sense that I kind of went into it on my own. Um, I didn't know anyone on the trip, but I, I did go to Papua New Guinea. So it, I would not recommend going there actually solo. Um, you need to go with the, uh, a guide or something. Um, but that was one of the trips that kind of sticks with me the most is just kind of this very exotic um, place that you really feel like you're uncovering a, a new world for the first time. And um, we were very, very immersed in some of the local tribal cultures there and, you know, visiting groups that, I mean, not, not like first contact <laughs> type stuff like that. I don't, I don't like that, but, you know, visiting with groups that are very remote and, um, spending time with groups of people that, you know, live in places that can only be accessed by canoes and, and, and small air aircraft. So that was really a special trip for me. And, and sometimes I think back on that trip, I'm like, Oh, I don't have, I wish I could talk about that more with my husband. We don't have that as a shared experience. So maybe we'll go back. <laughs> yeah. What, brought you to the decision to go to Papua New Guinea and have, like you said, a, a very adventurous situation. Like you're going and you're, and you're meeting these people like, this is not, Hey, I'm going to go hang out at the Hyatt and, uh, and sit by the pool. This is something that, that takes a lot of work and a lot of effort. Why did you decide to go there? Yeah. I mean, I guess there's, to me, there's kind of a decision distinction between like vacations and travel and like don't get me wrong I like vacations too like hanging out by the pool with my girls and a few cocktails but like I guess 
that is more of a leisure activity where travel is more of like an active learning activity for me. And I don't know, it's just like I, after I discovered that place through some reading and some photography work I was doing, I was like, I just need to go here. And I guess I feel a bit of a sense of urgency with some of those travel type trips, um, just as the world is changing so quickly. I I just feel like some of these destinations aren't going to be the same in five years or 10 years. And um, for either environmental reasons or just globalization, um, I've kind of felt this sense of urgency to get to some of these places that I, I know won't be the same. What are some of those places that you feel the urgency for that you that you've either been to other than Papua New Guinea or that you're planning on going or want to go? Yeah, so that's that's kind of inspired sort of this recent uptick in my like solo travel activity. My husband doesn't have as much um, vacation time as I do, but I'm like, I have to go now. So I went to Ethiopia and visited the Omo River Valley last year. And that was another really incredible trip. Um, again, spending time with tribal communities that really do live off the grid in, in super um, kind of simple ways and absolutely fascinating because it's absolutely authentic. This is their real day-to-day life. It's not a reenactment. And I just found that to be such a special experience to be able to immerse myself in that culture in a responsible way and just really see how these people are living and some of the cultures that they're able and traditions are able to maintain over, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years. It's incredible. So Ethiopia was one from a cultural standpoint. Um, last year we also went to Greenland um, and I did go there with my husband and that's a place that like also, I mean, it's, we went there because it's changing so much from an environmental standpoint, obviously um, the glaciers are melting, things like that. But it ended up actually being a very interesting cultural trip as well. I, I hadn't expected that, but, um, you know, we, we were shocked when we got there to really understand the native culture that exists there and some of the global dynamics happening for them. When you're going on these trips, like the one to Papua New Guinea or the one to Ethiopia, where you are going off the grid a bit, are you going with tour companies and how are you finding the people that that are running this trip? Because I, I assume that you're not going just as a straight independent traveler. No, and I wouldn't recommend doing that, particularly not in, in these kind of tribal regions. First of all, it's not safe. And second of all, it's um, it's probably not responsible to just show up and and, and expect that you're welcomed and, and to, <laughs> for them to take you in. Um, yeah, so the first trip I did, I did it through a, a travel company with Papua New Guinea, um, it was a photography tour I went on and it was a really, really small group, which felt really great. Um, being focused on photography when I travel, it's really nice because, um, they tend to structure the trip a little bit differently and focus on things I tend to be really interested in probably a little bit less time on like museums and sites and more time interacting with people, um, sort of seeing the local culture and, uh, witnessing the local traditions. And so I really enjoyed that. And one of the gentlemen I met on that trip, actually, he had spent 13 years living in Ethiopia and was going to be, he was revisiting Ethiopia quite a bit. He had taught English there for many years and he was taking his first group to the Omo River Valley um, last year. So I decided to join him and a few other people from the original trip kind of went along with this guy we made friends with uh, named Trevor and he, he took us on a really, really neat trip. And of course, he works with local guides, local security, um, 
and then each tribe you visit has a tribal guide as well who who joins um, the tour for those days because you're camping and tribal grounds and things like that. So, I mean, it's a complex trip. And, and yeah, you definitely don't want to venture on these things as a truly independent traveler. Yeah, as, as fun as it would sound to some people, me even not as much. I'm like, this seems like a headache. There is something we said for for finding someone who can take you in and do it in a responsible way for sure so that y- that you're getting a good experience but also the the place that you're going is is ha- you're experiencing it in a way that you should experience it and that they want you to experience it not just you tromping yes. in and and as an outsider there's just so many things you're not aware you don't know for example like both in Papua New Guinea and in Ethiopia there's a lot of intertribal warfare going on um, that you're not privy to the dynamics of as an outsider. But I mean, the local guides and tribal guides certainly are. So your itinerary on these trips can really change, you know, by the day based on some of these dynamics. So, I mean, you certainly want to be aware of all that because these are violent places. When did the love of photography come about? Because that has helped shape everything you're doing now, both from your blog and and all the photography and stuff that's on there, and also then the trips that you're taking it's a neat way to go with a group that you know that you're going to like share a common bond with anyway because they like it too. And as you mentioned, make sure that you're doing the things that, that you like instead of, oh, I'm just with a random group and everyone has all these other interests and we're going to try to satisfy everyone. You're like, hey, I know I'm with other photographers, so we're going to get to do certain things that I want to do. How did that come about though? Like, Have you always been into photography or is this something new? I- I have. So I'm a designer and that's what I do. But um, I've always loved photography and painting and photography has been something I mean, we had a dark room in my high school. And that was always a place I was hanging out. Um, and then I had kind of stepped away from it in college a little bit, and then kind of rediscovered my passion for photography, um, sort of through travel, I guess I and I'm, I'm not a professional by any means. But um, I do like doing a little bit of travel writing and travel photography that I've worked with different publications on. And um, I don't know. I, I find it's a really interesting way to see a place and kind of force yourself to take a deeper look. Um, and I, I always try to, you know, I'm, I'm not a super specialized photographer where like all I do is landscapes or something like that. I, I kind of like to do a variety. So I love kind of the natural landscape portion of it. And I love the humanistic portion. I've, I've recently kind of discovered portraiture and I've found that's actually one of my new favorite things to play around with as I travel. Um, and then I love kind of looking at the details of things and seeing patterns, colors, um, things that are almost kind of designerly and, and in nature. And that's one thing I've sort of liked about, you know, going through a country or space with a camera is it forces you to sort of continually look for different perspectives and, and details you might otherwise walk by. So if you're not on a photography trip, are you the one who's always like, do you get up super early and say like, we got to catch this sunrise or like, I have to be here at 3 a.m. because then this is coming at 5 a.m. Are you? Okay. So that's why I like the photography trips because they like force you to do that. And then, which is awesome because they're like, this is what we're doing. You have to get up um, on my own. I wish I was that motivated, but like, I mean, I live in Colorado and I've, I've been here for months now and I keep being like, you know, I really need to get up and drive up to the mountains in the night and be there for sunrise. And, I haven't done it yet. I have I have some plans to do it this summer, but I mean, I know there's people who are super diehard and and catching every 
every perfect timing of light. And I, I wish I was more, more committed. <laughs> yeah. You're just saying, all right, this is a hobby. It's something I yeah. like. Doesn't mean I have to wake up at 4am or anything like that. Exactly. Awesome. One of the cool things about your site that I, that I like, both the photography site and then the the travel site, is that you are doing it as a hobby, and and as you mentioned earlier, with no real plans of saying, "Hey, I want to make this a career." Like so many people say, "I want to make a career. I want to, you know, I want to either be a travel writer, I want to be a travel photographer, I want to do both, I want to blend it, I want to have my own site or freelance." And you're saying, like, I'm just enjoying the process of doing it and capturing it and remembering it and putting it out there for others to see it, but not having to worry about the financial side of it. Totally. And I think that kind of gets back to your question from earlier on kind of balancing work and travel. And I, and I did struggle with this for many years. I was like, oh, maybe this is my true passion and this is what I should be doing with, you know, all of my energy. Um, but, you know, I've actually talked to a lot of people about this who work in all different fields. And I... I guess there's also something to be said about keeping something that you feel passionate about as a hobby. Um, the minute you try to monetize, you know, something that you really love, it can really change the nature of what that thing is to you. And I've seen it happen to friends in other creative fields. And I've never really wanted that to happen with travel photography. And as I kind of started getting into that industry a little bit more and learning about, you know, travel writing and and, um, you know, the whole mag travel magazine photography, I, I've gone to a few workshops on it. I was like, oh, actually, I think these people, even travel photographers, deal with it. It's not necessarily a dream job either. It's kind of what you realize. Like, these things are still work. And a lot of these photographers are still, you know, doing other things to pay the bills. And I don't know, I guess it became less appealing as I've gotten a little older and felt really um, happy and comfortable in my career. I'm like, it's okay to have hobbies that you love that aren't your work. I 100% agree. And I think that, like you said, a lot of times you try to pigeonhole yourself into something because it, it, it feels like right. Or you're like, well, I, if, if I like this, I should... I should really, really do it because then, you know, you just see the romanticized notion of it. Like, oh, I get to go wherever I want, take whatever picture I want. It's like, no, nah, definitely not the case. I'm not a travel photographer, but I know from my friends, it's like you said, it's a lot more meeting deadlines or people telling you what you have to do or, you know, taking jobs that maybe you don't love, but obviously pay well versus ones that you do love that pay less. And here you just said, I don't have to do that. I'll just go where I want, take pictures I want, and, and go from there. Yeah, and you tend to have to, you know, as you're developing yourself as a travel photographer, as like a brand or, a, you know, someone that people are going to hire, you have to get really consistent with your style and be willing to do things like shoot photos of hotels and then write nice things about them. And I, I just didn't have a lot of interest in doing that. <laughs> yeah, I can completely understand that where you're like, I just want to do my independent thing. And and I want travel to just be for travel's sake or the photography to be yep. for photography's sake. And I can make my money and have my like job and enjoy it. And these two things can be separate. Totally. And that's what I hope to continue to do with it. Um, just like other hobbies I have. Like I like to cook, but I won't be becoming a chef anytime soon. <laughs> what are some ways that you save money while traveling? Like what... What does your travel style look like? Because I'm sure it's different when you're 
traveling for work and I don't know, maybe you've got that expense account. And then when you're going on your own trips as an independent traveler. For sure. And it's also definitely evolved over the years, I would say. Um, you know, I definitely started out doing the backpacking, uh, hostels thing, um, which is great. And I think it's a really, really important experience to have, especially as a younger person, college age, like do that. I mean, and, and I think the things you get out of those experiences are are part of the the journey, right? Like, you learn about how to connect with people from all over the world. And you're a lot of times meeting people from other countries that are traveling, you know, at the, at, for the first time. And I had so much fun doing that. Um, but I've also found like 10 years later that it's fun to even revisit some of those same cities um, a little bit older and with a little bit more um, in terms of resources, because I'm like, wow, yeah, Paris does have good food. <laughs> I, I had never experienced that the first time I was there because I couldn't afford to go to restaurants. I was eating, you know, baguettes. Um, and then you kind of revisit it a little bit later and you can kind of adjust your itinerary too to things that so suddenly feel more interesting than, than just going out, you know? Um, so I've, I've found that's kind of a, a fun adjustment. Um, and in terms of spending now, yeah, I mean, we're definitely trying to do things to save money when we can, um, I love using Airbnb. I've been a huge fan of them for a long time. Um, you know, mostly good, occasionally bad experiences, of course. Um, and then I, I think the nice thing about having the combination of, you know, work, travel and uh, personal travel is, you know, you do rack up miles, things like that, points, hotel points that you can then use for, you know, personal trips sometimes, which is great. And you get some status on some of these airlines, which makes travel a little more comfortable. Um, and then we still do things like camp. We won't necessarily camp the whole trip anymore. We'll bring along the tent. Like we went to Hawaii and we're like, let's camp half the nights. That'll be a good compromise, you know? So doing things like that to save some money. Um, a lot of times we'll hit the grocery store. We're not opposed to doing that. When we travel, we don't eat out every meal, which saves a lot of money. Um, and, you know, just especially for things like lunch or do a little picnic dinner. And I find that really, really helps. Yeah. And I actually love grocery stores for the experience of going to grocery stores, like they show you a slice of real life in that town, in that country, wherever, in that region, wherever you are, you know, you go to a grocery store and you're like, this looks different than my grocery store at home. Like there's no doubt about it. And sometimes that's even the case if you're going around the US. I remember being in a small town in Iowa and I was like, whoa, this is like, this reminds me of the groceries I went to growing up as a kid, which now it's like they're just bigger and and they're like crazy supermarkets. And I'm like, this is cool. This is a locally owned grocery store with people wearing like little white aprons walking around. Like that's not everywhere in Iowa, I'm sure. But it was nice that even there, somewhere in my home yeah. country, it was a different experience. Yeah. And like a lot of these travel tips kind of compound. So if you stay in an Airbnb, a lot of times you then have a kitchen which, you know, makes cooking some of your meals really easy or keeping milk in the fridge easy. So, um, yeah, I found that to be really nice. The other thing we do is drive. Um, when we travel, we tend to kind of stay away from using like the taxis and Ubers and just not being afraid to rent a car and drive in some of these countries. It's a little intimidating at first, but um, it's kind of a, a nice way to save some money. And it gives you a lot more freedom, we found, to really kind of explore beyond, you know, maybe your set itinerary and go places that you're not totally sure are going to be great, but might be worth checking out. What is the hardest country that you've driven in? 
Hmm. You know, actually, this was one of my solo trip experiences. I was in um, I was in London for work, and I decided I was going to rent a car and drive up to Scotland. And I, of course, I hadn't really thought this through. Rent the car, and I, you know, they drive on the other side of the road. I'm like, oh, how how hard can it be? And this guy gives me the car, and he's like, you've never done this before, have you? And I was like, no, but I think it'll be fine. And that was a super terrifying drive for me. I remember thinking. Oh my gosh, this is this is more mentally confusing than I expected. And you do kind of catch on that the traffic circles and left-hand turns get complicated. So I remember being in kind of a real panic. And then they had these, you know, speed cameras that were every little while. And I, that was, for me, one of those panic drives. Like, what was I thinking? <laughs> yeah, as someone who has also driven and in London and trying to even get out of, I think it was Heathrow Airport. And yeah. I'm, like, exactly. I don't even know where I'm going. And then you're hitting all these circles. And it's fine if you're driving down the road with other cars because you're like, oh, I'm just following them. This makes sense. And as soon as you get to a turn, I always remember thinking, wait, am I going like far? Am I going tight? I don't. And yeah, then you throw the traffic circles in. And now I'm really confused. Not only do I not know like which way to exit, I'm like, am I even going the right way? Yeah, it can be tough. It can it mentally can be tough. And I don't know if you experience this. In Japan, we drove on the other side roads. So we were there for two years. So we, we got very used to that. And then coming home, I was like, well, this isn't, you know, muscle memory will take over. And I was fine for a couple of days. But I remember one time driving down the road, not thinking, and this car is coming towards me. I'm like, what is this person doing on the other side? And they're like, beep it, beep it. And like, whoops, nope, that's me. I'm on the left side of the road. You know, like it just didn't switch over for, for some yep. reason. So. My my husband also did this this thing to me where we when we were in Iceland he realized I didn't know how to drive stick shift that this was something I had never learned and he's like you have to learn how to drive stick shift so of course we rent this car that stick shift he gives me the whole tutorial I learned to drive stick shift on this trip to Iceland and now every year we usually go on a trip and he insists on me practicing once a year that my stick shift driving in one of these random countries. So we've had some funny years like in uh, Turkey, we rented this car and I had a, to figure it out. And I hadn't, I'd had only driven stick shift once and it had been a year ago. And it's always a panic at first, but I've learned it is a good life skill. That is a tough, yeah, that's a tough way to learn it. When you're in another country, you're already a little bamboozled, right? And now all of a sudden someone's throwing this on you. I mean, I learned, it was hard enough for me to learn when I was 16 and I was just driving around like the <laughs> suburbs of Philadelphia. Good for you. Yeah. So it, usually in a strange country, I practice every year. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Thank, yeah. I'm sure all the residents of those countries are super thankful. They're like, all I right, know. here comes Jen practicing, <laughs> exactly. practicing your stick shift here in Turkey after doing it one time. Uh-huh. <laughs> what has been then the biggest travel mishap that has occurred to you over the last couple of years or since you've really been traveling? Hmm. I'm trying to think, you know, I can't think of one trip that was like a total disaster trip. I mean, there's been elements of many trips. I mean, every trip has things that don't work out, right? Like canceled flights or, you know, some sort of sickness or complication or something like that. Um, but I would say, you know, I would say the uh, the biggest travel mishap, or it was it wasn't even a mishap. It was just on this recent trip to Ethiopia. I think it was more of a misalignment of expectations. And I I mean I knew it was going to be rough, but I knew we were going to be camping. And the first night we got there, I got super bad food poisoning. I was really really, really sick. And we were camping in this in this kind of remote village, and we each of us had our own tents. 
and we were in there and it starts downpouring like is as hard as it can possibly rain it is just downpouring and all the tents are leaking we have an armed guard sleeping outside the tent to like protect us and i have to keep going out to be sick in this rainstorm and i i just remember like laying there that night thinking like if i had a button i could push to go home immediately i would push it <laughs> So but that was a rough that was a rough couple days. Um, but honestly, after that, I was so glad I stayed. The trip got way better. Um, and I think on a lot of my travel mishaps, they I'm always glad I stick it out because, you know, usually it's just a a passing moment and it kind of gets better. Yeah, I think that everyone who's traveled enough has had that button moment of, oh, yes. my gosh, get me out of here. Like I would do anything <laughs> to be at home in my own bed. I mean, you take any bed, but it's like, I just want to be somewhere comfortable that I know. And obviously when you're traveling, like that's not the case, there is no button, but I think we've all had those experiences of just like, yeah, what have I got myself into? I'll take the familiar over. Like, this is why people don't travel is because of what I'm experiencing yeah. right now, essentially. I know a lot, of, a lot of times after a trip, I'll come home and share a few stories and people are like, that sounds awful. I definitely don't want to go there. I'm like, no, no, no. I didn't mean to give you that impression. But I mean, there, there is a reality to it, too. I mean, these aren't, if you do exotic travel, you know, it doesn't always feel like a vacation the whole time. Yeah, but you're that's like, too. yeah, you're like, don't listen to my story. Look at this cool picture. Here's my Instagram, you know, take, take that. Exactly. What, exactly. what do you have coming up in the pipeline? What type of trips do you have? What are you most excited for? Yeah, so the next big one, I have a few smaller um, trips coming up. Um, and then my husband and I are doing a big trip in August. We're going back to Vietnam. My husband's never been, so I'm going to go back. And then we're going to do northern Vietnam, like the Sapa region, and do some hiking up there for like a three-day kind of like homestay sort of trek. And then we're going to go down to Indonesia from there and spend a little time in Indonesia. And I've never been. So um, that's a trip I'm always looking for advice on because the more I research Indonesia, I'm like, you could spend an entire month here. There's so much to do. And that tends to be a, always a challenge for me is like narrowing down to what can I fit into the time I have? Because like like we were talking earlier, um, time ends up being one of my biggest constraints when I travel because of, you know, the need to balance work and in real life with traveling as well. Um, I do sometimes envy those people who are like, oh, yeah, we're, you know, just gonna go off for three months and hang out. I'm like, that sounds so great. You can just do it all then. But um, unfortunately, that's that's not my re reality right now. <laughs> yeah. And even then, you know, then you, at the end of three months, you're like, there's so much I haven't done. And then, you know, and or you go to a place that you that you're excited to go to and you realize there's just so much more there you know like that kind of happens when people are like oh well why do you go back to Croatia why do you go back to Thailand I'm like I've seen a sliver of what I could see in these countries even though we've been there a few times you know and it's always changing as well so you go back and it's new as well so yeah, yeah I feel the same way and and for people who don't have a lot of time like who only can take a week off at a time or something like that you know, what I always say is don't let that be an excuse not to go. I mean, I think for some people like, oh, we're, we're not going to go because we only can have a week and that's not worth going to Asia for. But like, you know, maybe you can't get it all in in a week. But I think it's also dangerous to keep putting it off because you don't feel like you have enough time because what ends up happening when you get to a place is 
regardless of how much time you have, you're always going to find more stuff to do. Travel, travel's kind of like that. And I always kind of laugh at the bucket list idea because I'm like, that's not how it works. You can't really ever check anything off because everywhere you go, you find more stuff you want to do. So, um, you know, you can just keep going back. And, and I think that's part of it too. Just having the attitude, like I can go back to these places. Yeah, totally. Totally. Jen, thank you so much for joining me today for showing people how they can balance a full-time job and traveling and they can do both whether that be traveling for work traveling for personal reasons or both as you do and for convincing me to come visit cincinnati um i gotta get down there so thank you so much remind people how they can come find your stuff and how they can get a hold of you Sure. Please uh, check out, uh, you can welcome to follow me on Instagram. Um, it's the journey notes and that's the same name of my travel website, thejourneynotes.com. And I also have a website with my photography, Jen Sizer photography. Awesome. And we will link all that up in the show notes guys. So if you're listening to this and you want to get the show notes, you can go to extra pack of slash shows. Jen, thanks again. Appreciate it. I love chatting with you and thank you everyone. For tuning in today for your continued support that makes us number one ray travel podcast on iTunes. And until next time, happy free travels. I'll show you Paris soon.